you've got a really terrific opportunity. And that's what we find in Acts chapter 2. This is the Apostle Peter speaking to a crowd. They're all on the same page as him. Crowd of Jewish people. And last week we saw that they were amazed by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember that when they heard the sound of the violent wind and they saw the tongues of fire and they heard the message in different languages, they were utterly gripped. They also knew their Old Testament. So they would have said, if you ask them, yes, we believe in God, we believe in sin, and now we're beginning to see the bridge between the things that our ancestors taught us and the promise of the Messiah. And what's going to happen is Peter's going to point these very onside listening Jews to the Lord Jesus. And Peter's going to urge them to turn back to him in this famous sermon. The passage provides very neatly, I think, in four sections. Uh, Peter, Peter starts by speaking about the earthly ministry of Jesus. You would expect him to start there. And then he talks about the heavenly exaltation of Jesus. So that's all about where Jesus is today, why it matters. Then Peter says, I have a word for outsiders. And that every creature ought to have a word for outsiders. Peter has one. And then the passage ends by describing the fellowship of the insiders. So that's kind of the road map for where we're going this morning. So firstly then, the earthly ministry of Jesus, verses 22 to 24. Now remember that St. Peter's already got their attention. The framework of the Bible then is already in their heads. So Peter begins, verse 22. Then in Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. Now, speaking to Jews who just rejected Jesus of Nazareth, this first one of the sermon is a shock. Every phrase in verses 22 to 24 is evidence that the audience were complicit in the death of Christ. Look at what he says. Jesus of Nazareth, so historical person, a local boy, went around the corner. He was accredited by God to you. In other words, you couldn't ignore the evidence because he did miracles, wonders, and signs among you. Nobody missed them. If you didn't actually see them yourself, you heard about them from the eyewitnesses. And Peter says, you know all this. In other words, your conscience confirms it. Your conscience is on my side. And of course, it's a very lovely thing, isn't it, to, to talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus if their conscience is already on your side. Now look at verse 23. This man was handed over to you by Judas. Does it say that in your Bible? It doesn't, does it? No, he was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. In other 
eyewitnesses, ear witnesses, and you were there, and all these things happen to you. You can't say that. But we can appeal to the impact that Jesus has made on the world. We can point out that Jesus has made a God-sized crater on the world. You know, historically, don't you, but sometimes a meteor slams into planet Earth and it leaves behind a massive crater. But in the same way, Jesus has left a God-sized crater behind in the world. You see, we can remind people constantly that whether they're Christians or not, that the calendar that we use to plan our entire lives is calculated by reference to Jesus, isn't it? And then we can go on from there and explain that God's plan was to use the death of Jesus to open the door of eternal life. And in the last 2,000 years, millions of people have walked through that door. So that's the way the piece begins. That's the first section. The second section in this sermon is the heavenly exaltation of Jesus, verses 25 through 36. Now this is 80% of the message. And in this section, Peter, as it were, stands back and he says to the listeners, you know that our great King David predicted all of this. And again, this probably isn't something that we're going to be able to say in our street evangelism for the average South African pagan. But they probably don't even know who David was. But Peter is able to say that to Jewish people in the first century. And he says to them, David predicted what happened. A thousand years before Jesus came, David said to God, verse 27, please have a look at this. Verse 27, you will not let your holy one and then you can't possibly have been talking about himself. Because, verse 29, Peter says that David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But, verse 13, David wasn't simply a king, he was a prophet. And in Psalm 16, he spoke about one of his descendants. In fact, and 31, he spoke specifically about Christ, whose body did not decay, but was raised in the grave. And verse 32, he says, for all this fact, he says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact, it's not a fairy tale. Very interesting that. I don't know whether any of you read the books of C.S. Lewis. But in his book on miracles, C.S. Lewis says this, quote, By his resurrection, Jesus has forced open the door that had been locked since the death of the first man. He was met, fought, and beaten, king of death. And everything is different because he has done so. 
This is the beginning of the new creation. And friends, of course, this is why it's so very important, isn't it? And you might have to wish to talk about this in the early September. Well, because at least the time, we don't want to be halfway up the government on holiday in Carrick. We want to be in church, we want the world to hear that we have the best possible news in the world that they need to listen to. And those of you here this morning who are hoping for a brighter future, and I'm sure some of you are, need to be listening extremely carefully to the one who's opened the door of the brightest future in that If you ask, okay, well, why has the Holy Spirit come now, hundreds of years after David, and hundreds of years after the prophet Joel, after he said the Holy Spirit would come, why did it delay? Peter would answer us, really, it's because Jesus has been insulted. It's because Jesus has been raised up that he can pour the Holy Spirit down. It's because of his victory over death that he's able to give life. No matter, and he just has a military victory today, the winner can distribute the booty. The death of Jesus, Jesus' victory over death, enables him to share out the new life, eternal life, for those who agree. If you ask whether the spirit that's being poured out is the spirit of Christ, in other words, is, is it the spirit of Jesus that's being poured out on you and me? Well, the answer to verse 33 is yes, it is. This is the spirit of Jesus because verse 33, how will we Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he is Jesus has pulled out what you now see in here. Then finally, if you ask, why is Jesus' victory not obvious today? And if Jesus has got a marvelous victory, why is everything on planet Earth so much falling mess? Why is there so much opposition to Jesus? Why are so many terrible things happening in the world? If you ask that question, the answer people will give you in verse 35 is that God hasn't yet made the enemies of Jesus. I thought this was all for his feet. They stand on the to do that. All of the enemies of Jesus are in the exception of that. We know more than I thought this was all for his feet. Now, if you and I want to copy uh, Peter's Pentecost sermon, if we want to say to our families and friends, Jesus is sitting on the throne of heaven, he's a wonderful king, he's a wonderful saviour, we would love to be able to do that. Well, what can we take from this? When we get the opportunity, what we can do is we can tell them about the escape of Jesus from the tomb. That's unique. 
created the fossils to wonders and signs. Believers share their possessions, verses 44 and 45, and their hearts full of praise to God through their hands to their number. Now here's something super special I have never noticed before. Please do you notice that the cut parts of verse 37, can we all see the cut parts in verse 37 in our Bibles? Please notice the cut parts of verse 37 become the glad and sincere parts of verse 36. That's a lovely transformation, isn't it? God cuts the heart, which of course is a painful experience. But then God plans the heart in ways that only God can. So there's the fellowship of the insiders. The early church, in its infancy, I think it's a beautiful picture. Not perfect. Uh, we're going to see in the coming weeks that problems were not very popular at service. But the church started out really, really well on the day of Pentecost. Tom Stott is one of my favourite Christian writers, and with typical brilliance, he summarises Peter's sermon like this. You might not like to make your own these points. Because if you want to present the gospel like the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, John Stott says, Notice the pairs. Not P E A R S, but P A I R S. Pairs, doubles. Notice the groups of two. For a start, for a two, the gospel in X, did you stop The death and the resurrection of Jesus. Two, gospel in X. Then he says, for a two witnesses, did you stop them? The Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament apostles. Then he says there are two promises for the person who believes forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. And, this is almost, there are two conditions repent and I want to finish this morning by encouraging you not to be intimidated by some of the people you might find yourself witnessing to who've got absolutely no Bible background. Don't be intimidated by that. God doesn't need a kind of theologian to convert to some African faith. No. God uses ordinary people like me and like you who will perhaps listen and find out what kind of mental framework these people have got in their heads. Because the more you listen to them, the wiser you will become in how best to honor Jesus. And I have noted that Jesus is what they're looking for. Jesus is actually what everyone is and so a great deal of our witnessing today starts not with kind of jumping straight in, but with goodness.
we might find ourselves in a privileged position of explaining Jesus to a friend who then says, What must I do? And that would be a very wonderful thing because that's better. Uh, gracious God, we thank you for the great work you did. Freely and generously, giving your Son, pouring out the Spirit, raising up a great crowd of believers. We thank you that this crowd of believers is spread around the globe. And a huge privilege of being among the believers in your we ask you to help us to seek to be your witnesses and just how difficult that can be. We ask that you would enable us to be good hearers, good communicators, good answers. And in your providence, we ask that we might be good helpers in guiding others to know the Lord Jesus. So we thank you for the scripture. Pray that you would help us to go and practice the things that you taught.